Hello, and welcome to the Read This, Watch That podcast. I am Anthony. I am Dale. What are you drinking today, Dale? Coffee. Oh, okay. I'm having a glass of wine. Really? My my own. Oh, good for you. Enjoying it, I hope? I am. I actually like it. It's a Syrah I made. Australian. Um, Let it age about... 18 20 months and it uh it has some very nice flavors i'm impressed with myself well if you can't be impressed with yourself who can you be impressed with uh, i'm the only one who's impressed with myself so all right um today we're gonna do something a little bit off the beaten trail usually we do movies books occasional tv shows today and this was your idea we are going to talk well you're, you're gonna talk more than i about the synth pop uh, band Rush, probably synth, best synth pop. That's the first time I've ever heard anyone describe them as synth pop. Okay, probably best known for sunglasses at night, walk like an Egyptian. <laughs> My notes. I'm sorry. My notes are all screwed up. All right, yeah. You wanted to talk about Rush, and I thought that's a really interesting idea. I don't think I've ever heard of a movie book podcast discuss a couple songs by a band what made you like where did that that idea come from i like it because even though we do movies and books i would like to hit some uh, like radio shows like especially some of the orson welles stuff so Mm. i thought this was a really uh creative idea yeah well um so i guess it, it came out of kind of all the stuff that has happened with the band over the past few years. Um, so they kind of late in their career um, received a lot more attention. Um, they became cool, which was something they never were. And they got inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame. They released their let what turned out to be their last album went on their last tour. Tragically, their drummer, um, Neil Peart, died uh, glioblastoma. Probably the band had ended by that point anyway. It was doubtful they would ever go on tour again, that's for sure, but died tragically. Um, And there have been actually a number of podcasts started about the band. um, Okay, no kidding. With with podcasting, yeah. And... um, you know, there. It's a group that has been. Uh, I am a fan. I'm not a huge, huge fan like there are out there, uh, and a lot of them. Um, but I'm a fan, and um, I this more than any other bit of culture. I'll say, I think Rush has had a significant impact on my life, on my perspective, on the on my view of the world and my values. Um, and so it's a very, very important uh, moment for me. And I, I feel very strongly um, about them in a, in a lot of ways. And uh, I think they're worth talking about. And you're a musician. I was, yes. I wouldn't call myself anymore, but yes. I went to music school after college and fancied myself a musician um, until I figured out that I didn't have the talent nor the self-discipline to (laughs) 
<laughs> even come remotely close to doing what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> well, I just feel like, uh, and this is no slight against Rush or even a more basic type of band. I just think whether you're a writer looking at a novel, whether you're a musician, you just bring a different perspective in a lot of ways than a lay person would. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, knowing the knowing the craft, or at least knowing a bit about the craft and what it takes to do things that as a lay person you may just not, you know, fully appreciate or understand. It's like us with movies. Like I mean I, I see shots and films and like, oh that's neat. But if I understood cinematography better, I might be even more impressed with what's going on. Um or unimpressed, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, uh, and I just think the people with the background, you it's not that you can't enjoy uh, music or, or works of art. Of course you can. That's that's one of the reasons they're created. I just remember a bunch of my friends were musicians who, real musicians, musicians who went on to really legit music schools. They knew how to read music. They weren't just kind of picking it up. And I would hear maybe a guitar riff. It sounded really fast to me. And I'd be like, oh, that's, that's really cool. That's, he must be a really good guitar player. And they'd be like, no, he's fine. He's fine. But, you know, he's not doing anything. He's fast, but he's not doing anything particularly complicated. You know, it's just something I wouldn't be aware, even despite, you know, my, my bit of musical background. It was, oh, okay, I'll take you. Listen, <laughs> you guys are the, the music students. I'll take your word for it. So I think there is things that people have studied the field bring to it that can add appreciation to what they're hearing yep i think that's um, definitely true yeah before we talk about the band i and i'll just be up front i know nothing about the band i know they existed i knew they were on the radio a decent amount up where i lived in the 80s but what is your is this is this something looking back on was oh did you start at such a young age such a young age that you don't really remember them not being in your life? Or was there a, a moment of discovery? No, there was a moment of discovery. It was on a ski trip when I was in middle school. Someone had um, the album uh, Permanent Waves on a, on a tape on a Walkman, and they um, graciously allowed me to listen to it. And um, I was hooked immediately, just immediately. It was, it was like nothing I had ever heard before. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was clearly uh, the result of, you know, very skilled people doing (laughs) their best, (laughs) I'll say. And uh, it was fascinating to me in that regard. And what year would that have been? That would have been like maybe 83, 84, right around there. That's when they, that was well after they had settled into this kind of yeah they were in their most popular phase i'll say okay. at that point yeah yeah right. permanent and permanent waves was one of their was one of their entree points into that real era of popularity obviously they had they had a following and they had real popularity before that but it was with a group of albums um in that era that uh really elevated them. And, and I will say this as well, um, in, in listening to the lyrics, it was also very clear that they were doing something very different than anybody else. Yeah, I, um, 
this is a band that was just I knew from the radio and a number of again my musician friends really liked them particularly the two guys who were drummers and they worshipped Neil Peart is it? Peart yes one of the ones they and and I respected that well I respected one guy overall and I I respected the other guy as a drummer but not as much else uh, so they're you know they they thought Neil Peart was one of the best drummers they had heard in in you know in the rock arena. Um, I was like, you know, their word carried a lot of weight with me, and so I always thought of him. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Getty Lee, I knew the name. Neil Peart, I knew the name. I still can't remember the name of the guitar player. Alex Lifeson. Yes. So they, you know, probably for them who wanted to go into some type of rock slash fusion music, uh, he was probably, you know, one of their top three drummers. So I heard of them. They were on the radio. I never changed the channel when they, I never flipped stations when they were on. Um, And they were just always, but I kind of knew them from, boy, the, the, it was the more popular stuff like limelight um Mm -hmm. tom sawyer Mm -hmm. and correct me if i'm wrong but a a few years into the later 80s they did they do did they do subdivisions yes that's a very interesting song and so is limelight as a matter of fact yes so they were just they were just around much in the same way for me although not as ubiquitous uh very much like genesis yeah, a video, I, yeah, on the radio and things like that. So, let's. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit of this band? You we had a conversation uh, a while ago. I had no clue that this band went back to the '60s, and I had no clue that. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you said they started out more as a British influenced R&B band. Did you say? Uh, no, I, I okay. sort of, I mean, I think, yes, they have their origins in the, in the sixties, but I think that's really more of, um, kind of the, the proto version of, of them. So the band really formed when, um, childhood friends, um, Leon Lifeson, uh, Getty Lee, by the way, his real name is Gary Lee Weinrib, um, the, the son of, uh, the son of Holocaust survivors, actually. His parents oh, wow. actually, yeah, his parents married in a concentration camp, actually. Um, they were both uh, from immigrant families in, in Toronto, you know, people fleeing Europe after the after the war. And um, they met when they were in middle school, hit it off, became friends. Um, both gravitated toward music kind of individually and together. And were I think it was Alex Lifeson's band first and then you know Lee Joint, but this is when they were, you know, 14, 15, you know, young kids. That's that's terrific. And uh yeah, so they started started this band and um they had their first drummer, a guy named John Rutsey, um, who they worked with and who with whom they released their first um album, simply called Rush. And they were kind of it was a Canadian version of Led Zeppelin is how a lot of people um, kind of described it. So it was that kind of, you know, heavy blues rock uh, oriented, but uh, Lee and Lifeson 
were getting really into some of the more prog oriented bands like um, Yes, uh, for example, and um, uh, Genesis, King Crimson, um, those kind of groups. And they really kind of wanted to go more in that direction. And Rutsy was much more of a, you know, straight on rocker type. In addition, he had type one diabetes, which made his health kind of questionable. He didn't like touring. And so as soon as they actually released their album and started to get some radio play in the United States in Cleveland, United States, um, actually, um, they parted ways with Rutsy and had to find a new drummer and Neil Peart, who at that point was, I think, playing in another band, but primarily working in the parts department of his father's um, tractor <laughs> business, um, auditioned for, you know, to, to join the band. And, and it was actually, it's actually a really kind of a nice story because he, he was talking to his father about it. He's kind of like, well, should I do this? Because Peart had he'd grown up in a different part of Toronto. They didn't know each other. He had tried to be a professional musician when he was young, went to England for about a year and a half, uh, came back working in, his, his, in the parts department and said to his father, I don't know, should I do this? And his father said, well, look, the parts department is going to be here. <laughs> so yeah. if this is something you want to try to do, go do it. Um, and so he went and he auditioned and, and of course got the, got the, the role. And um, he is, in fact kind of recognized as one of the pick anybody's list. He's number one, two or three in just about everybody's list in terms of rock drummers. The, the other ones up there are people like John Bonham, you know, Keith Moon, um, people like that. And people generally consider him to be in that pantheon and, you know, very different kind of style in a lot of ways and, and approaches, but definitely there. And when, he joined, um, they were able to go into this, you know, more progressive sort of a, of a mode um, and released in total 19 studio albums of wow. original music. They have, uh, they are number three in groups that have um, consecutive gold or platinum albums behind only the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And their fifth in terms of having gold and platinum albums behind the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Kiss and Aerosmith. So, you know, the gold and platinum, it's not as significant as you, as you think. I can't remember exactly what the, you know, the number of units you have to sell to, to get there. I mean, it's significant, but it's not like, you know, 5 million to be gold. It's, it's a fairly low number. <clears throat> and, uh, but they have this very, 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 loyal fan base i've heard it described as kind of like nascar fans they are brand loyal right you don't they they don't go anywhere <laughs> let me ask you this you the long, it, all the way through is there what was there was there a song that put them on the map it, say in the united states you know uh so they yeah, so they're they're kind of in their the, the, what got the got them going was this kind of you know with their first album was this blues you know heavy blues Led Zeppelin like um, uh, feel to it and they a couple of albums excuse me a couple of songs off of that album they've kind of always played probably the one that is um, kind of most known would be a song called Working Man. 
which is a, kind of a simple song. It's just about how I work really hard. <laughs> and that's, that's about all that it's about. It's not very creative. But it's an interesting song, and they they do it. Uh, they they did it in every concert, and there are actually some good videos of 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 some of what they've done with that with that song over the years. So, for example, most recently they kind of turned the first part of the song into a reggae song before they you know transitioned into a you know hard rock version of it. Very creative, very very entertaining. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, they made. Um, uh, an album called Fly By Night was their second album, which which had some success, and probably and the, Fly By the, Night was the song that had the most success. That's but, a song that feels like the same style to me as the the three you had me listen to. Yeah, it's that's because they once it's like the, they hit they hit their they so they kind of hit their genre. Yeah, and but I think that after that, then it was the the album Twenty One Twelve kind of yes threw them into the scene it was uh that was their, a big their... album up up where i was uh that was, yeah that was a very i remember the yeah. name yeah you just said twenty one twelve, and i remember okay i remember people throwing that on when we were drinking or hanging out or having a party yeah yeah no great album uh and that was kind of their their progressive era then for the next couple of albums right from from fly by night to caress of steel which bombed and in fact, they it was this very interesting story is that after Crest of Steel came out, the student, their um, their record company was all over them. Right. Kind of saying, you guys got to change it up. No more of these, you know, album length songs. We need shorter songs. They need to be popular. You got to get out there, you know, produce something that's sellable. And <clears throat> interestingly, the, the group came together and they said, you know what? Fuck that. We're going to do what we want to do. And if it bombs, I'm going to go back to my dad's, you know, parts department. You're going to go be a plumber's, you know, that's it. We're going to do it our way or we're not going to do it at all. And so <laughs> their, their manager tells a great story of him going to the record. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, I know. No, no. The shorter songs. It's going to be. Yes, absolutely. This is it's all going in the right direction. They produced 2112, which, of course, starts with the entire you know, one song on one side of the album. That and, is like so, so, so yes, right? Yeah, yeah. And, hey, I bought this Yes album. How many songs? <laughs> two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but it was so successful that they said, and they used it. They used that success. And I heard an interview with them, and they said, from you know, from then on, it is ours. We make the album, we package it up, we deliver it to the record company. That's it. They don't have any say over anything we do they did rein it in because the songs i I was listening to weren't the uh 25 minute songs they were uh, a bit longer than you you know in the five five plus range yeah well after so so that 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 there is a uh commercial radio issue with a 25 minute song yeah, especially especially <laughs> in the eighties. Yes. Yeah. So uh, interesting. If so, you care, if you care about being on the radio, right, right, yeah. So they they produced these 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 first group of albums with you know, so Rush was one. They Fly by Night, Crest of Steel, Twenty One Twelve, uh, Farewell to Kings, and then Hemispheres, which I think Hemispheres is the pinnacle of prog, hard rock, metal, however you want to describe it. It is a 
fantastic album. And if you're into that stuff and you've never listened to it, you should. It's just tremendous. But what the band said was by that point, they were exhausted. They'd been, you know, on the road all the time. They were touring bands. So they were, you know, 250, 300 shows a year, you know, an album every 10 months or whatever it was that was going on. And they were playing really hard stuff. (laughs) And um, they got tired. And this is an interesting part of the band. You know, they're all, and they say this, they pride themselves as being actually pretty normal people. You know, they came from good families. You know, they had warm you know, uh, families, they had a lot of support growing up and they translated that into their lives. You know, they, they, you know, they're family guys and they were really getting tired. So they decided to change things up. So beginning with permanent waves, they started to compress their songwriting, make them make the songs a little bit shorter, uh, get their ideas a little bit more focused and be progressive in a in a what I'll say is a different way. And I think that the lyrics also began to change at that point. So prior to that is kind of the era of you know twenty one twelve, which is a you know kind of a science fiction type story. So were Cygnus X one and Cygnus X two, which blends kind of Greek mythology and science fiction. I mean, you know, it's this kind of kind of heavy heady stuff that a lot of people would make fun of them about, but. Getting, getting into the 80s, they began to transition a bit. This, things became a little bit more personal and they became the ideas even in the lyrics instead of using these fanciful scenarios as the vehicle to talk about interesting things because those songs talked about interesting things, about individuality, about um, love versus logic, right? It, it, all sorts of interesting ideas but they just compressed them and started to um, uh, talk about them more directly. So beginning with Permanent Waves, and I would argue going through the album uh, Hold Your Fire, they went through this period of compressing the songs and really experimenting in a certain way. And what they always said is they always listened to music. They were always easy. They got influenced by everybody. So they were listening to groups like the police and the talking heads and they really liked it. And so they started to change stylistically what they were doing. All um, right. Um, and that was that era. You, I hate to cut you off, but no, you know, we're good. Um, you asked me to listen to three songs. Uh, I did. Listen to the songs, look at the lyrics, free will, ghost of a chance and faithless. Now in, and I'll talk about my kind of my view of rush when we're, we're done. I had heard all these songs. Um, I definitely knew when I heard it, Free Will. Mm-hmm. And I definitely knew Faithless. Ghost of a Chance, I'm sure I heard, but was not something uh, I recalled. And Interesting. You heard Faithless before. That's interesting. I'm surprised. Oh, yeah. That was on the air. I, I knew right from the, like, the harmony and melody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Um, so, and you would ask me kind of like, my initial thoughts or impressions. So I've heard these songs before, but never really listened. It, it was a band. It was on the radio. Um, I never really listened to. Oftentimes, I don't listen to the lyrics. Like mm-hmm. lis- listen to them. Yeah. Sometimes when I would actually focus in on, on the lyrics, especially if my kids were in the car, I'd have to turn the radio off because I'm like, holy shit. 
I didn't know that song was about this when I actually listened to the lyrics. But, you know, these three particular songs struck me as now uh, was was I don't forget if it was you or somehow I in the in the recesses of, of my mind. Um, oddly enough, Peart was one of the main lyricists for the group. He was the lyricist. For OK. The group. Which is, you know, the drummer being the lyricist is a little bit different. And I never realized, yeah, you, you just like listen to Tom Sawyer, you listen to Subdivisions, you listen to Limelight. I w- w- would have loved to talk about Limelight because I just re-listened to that. And I found it a, a, bit, a, a bit funny. Not the song funny, but I've, I found the idea of um, living in a, the Limelight, the universal dream. It's yeah. like my worst nightmare. As it turns out, Peart's worst nightmare too. And that great line in that, in that, you know, I, I can't pretend a stranger is a long-awaited mm-hmm. friend, right? It's a great, one of the great lines. Yeah, Basically, he, he could not schmooze. Yeah, he was just not, yeah, he was not into being famous. So, <laughs> with all that said, and my apologies to any, any uh, zealous Rush fans, I really didn't notice understand or really comprehend how their songs are in a lot of ways philosophical statements oh yeah as opposed to you know what do you got american pies a story you got love songs you got stories and and these three are these weird in a lot of ways (laughs) philosophical statements and i wondered yeah did some Calvinist piss Peart off at one point, or was he <laughs> emotionally abused by a Congregationalist or a Calvinist because anti-God, or at least anti-organized religion, this huge underlying libertarian kind of theme, and I almost thought, like, was someone, God forbid, channeling Ayn Rand for a while? Yes. Um, when they were younger, because I like loathe her eighth grade philosophy, but a lot of this just seems very libertarian to me. It is so. So the Anne Rand influence is huge. That's twenty one twelve. I mean, they thanked Anne Rand in that. Um, oh dear they, God! Yeah, and in, it was that, interesting. by the way, that does not make me like them. <laughs> no, but but it it it. You know, they 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 grew out of that, and it was very interesting too because at the time there were people who were highly critical of 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 them and this kind of more, you know, libertarian you know philosophy that clearly is there, but in fact even accusing them of being you know proto Nazis, which is ridiculous, remarkably ironic given because I have Lee's when, background with, when we go with through Holocaust just, from just to be clear. Yeah. When we go through the lyrics, I have nothing, um, nothing negative to say about the lyrics. Yeah. It was just I did get that. Oh yeah. Kind of that feel. Yeah. Um, and, no. and accusing accusing them at least on the songs I've heard, and the yeah. lyrics I've read of being proto Nazis is utterly uh, absurd. Yeah. Oh, it is absurd. It's it's absolutely crazy, and it was by people who were overthinking things and not making careful distinctions between you know, being a libertarian and, and kind of believing in yourself and value, valuing yourself um, versus uh, uh, 
uh, you know, spouting the, you know, diatribes of the, of the left leaning day. And, and look, I'm a, as you know, I'm, you know, a, 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 as left leaning as they, as they get for, for most things. But, and that's I mean, part of the thing that, 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 the, that attracted me to the group as a kid is that even though I was always very left leaning, I was always very interested in things. And, you know, when you're a kid, I mean, was it, I heard this song when I was 13 or 14 for the first time. Which one? Uh, Free Will, the first song, okay. we, 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 which is in this, which is the end of this progressive era, the beginning of this more, you know, um, focused era with the, on the album Permanent Waves, 1980. So Free Will, you know, I heard this song, the first time I heard it, I was like 13 or 14 years old. And it really got me going because it was not a song about falling in love. It's not a story about, you know, people doing X, Y, and Z, right? It was, it's talking about um, belief, fatalism, right? The dangers of, of things, taking responsibility for yourself. And the fact that, uh, you know, there's a randomness to, uh, to everything that needs to be um, ordered in some way. Uh, and whether you know it or not, you are making a, a, a decision as to how you're going to live, you know, live your life in, in, in when it comes to those sorts of choices. I mean, it's just a, you know, as a kid, it's kind of this, for me anyway, was this kind of what the hell is going on <laughs> in a rock song? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I love, I love Zeppelin one, Zeppelin two, Zeppelin three. Oh yeah, but you know that's not this when no. you listen to it. No. So tell it's, me about. I, I'm. I want to. I want to get. I want to get to the to the song. And I want to. I want free will. Yeah. I want your impressions. Just overall impressions of the song, the music, the lyrics, the whole thing together. Anything probably, that that struck you as 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 notable? Probably my favorite song out of, out of the three. Uh-huh. I I'm impressed with the way they I, and I'm not sure this was even I'm not suggesting this is conscious, but they seem to. Yes, did this in the 80s with their comeback album. They are able to straddle the line of listen. I love exploring progressive rock when i was in high school i had a friend again another he was a mm-hmm. guitarist but he kind of introduced me to yes and that led me to like king crimson uh there was a band called uk there was a couple other progressive outfits out there um emerson like and palmer i believe mm-hmm. would probably be in that i like the way that this kind of straddles the line of being accessible but also hits on the progressive rock um, sensibility. Mm. It's it's not. Uh, I mean, it's not. Yes, right. It's not a thirty-two minute song um, with even like stranger lyrics. But um, so I think this, and you know, it was for like a eighties progressive rock group. It's a catchy song. It, yep. it it's memorable. It sticks the 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 harmony, the melody, all that sticks in your head. But um, I have it up here, and I was re- reviewing the lyrics, and the first 
thing that popped out was there are those who think that life has nothing left to chance. It, are there really people that think everything is predestined? Is that is that kind of what he's criticizing, that there are actually people who think? And that was my kind of Calvinist argument was like, <laughs> did he have an antibody experience to go back to Puritan New England where you were going to hell or heaven no matter what you did because everything was predestined? Um, so that was the first thing that stood out to me. Uh, but I do like, um, it almost reminded me subtly of Don Corleone refusing to be a puppet dangling at the strings of, 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 you know, quote unquote legitimate power. And I do, I did like the, um, I do like the, kind of the language he uses with regard to the stars aren't aligned or the gods are malign and blame is better to give than receive. I thought there's a nice lyrical imagery there. Yeah. Great lyricist um, and got better and better as time went time went on. And I, I think you're, you're so yes. I mean, I think that, the the way that i would describe the lyrics is that it is a it is a youthful rejection of um predetermined um uh structure right whether it's whether it's a particular set of religious beliefs or other sorts of beliefs to define what's going on or that kind of fatalism of, well, it's not up to me, right? It's up to somebody else. And that's that great line, blame is better to give than receive, which is that, well, if I just simply, if I simply say, oh, well, it's actually somebody else's responsibility, right? I don't actually, you know, have any say over what's going on. It's just fate or it's God's making it, then I don't really have responsibility over any of it. And it's this, rejection of that notion and there's that you know kind of that individualistic philosophy it's kind of hey no you take responsibility and and that statement of that's what i'm doing i am taking responsibility for myself and my my um my own life right and moving forward but then there's this wonderful kind of that that last almost coda like stanza at the end which is about well you know guess what we're each this imperfect thing. We have, we're all out here trying to figure things out in a very short period of time, well, <laughs> which is has, a wonderful has it, way to end a song that's about free. You know, it's like, Oh no, I'm going to take control. It's going to be me. It's my free will. But this recognition that it's, it's almost absurd to think that you're going to be able to make sense of out of anything because we're imperfect we're we're in a you know a scrum of everybody else who's imperfect trying to figure this stuff out and we only have a limited amount of time to do it. Well, I just wondering if if there's another song out there that has the line imperfect and incomplete genetic blends. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me wonder if was he predestined to write this song? Good base. Was, <laughs> was he predestined to choose free will? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I do like the um I, I love, I always love this. And I wonder if any, you know, if you were 14 and, you know, could look this up. I mean, when we were 14, no internet. I like the reference to the Lotus Eaters, which of course come from 
come from the Odyssey. Yes. And it was, you know, uh, they were a race of people that lived on an island and there was this fruit and it was a narcotic and it caused the inhabitants to sleep in peaceful apathy. Yeah. Which uh, is a sign to me of a, a literate rock and roll lyricist. Oh, yeah. yeah who yeah, can yeah. actually reference... I don't know if he was formally educated. I mean, he's from Canada, so I assume he almost like had a doctorate by the no, time no. he graduated from high school. So, it, um, it, no. So this is the interesting, again, the interesting thing. So when they were out on the road touring, um, so they toured, by the way, they opened for Kiss for a while. And there's oh some my God. really interesting. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> yeah, there's some really interesting comments from the guys of Kiss talking about Rush because they didn't go out and party and do all this stuff. I mean, for Peart, what he said was he said, look, I was young. I was on the road. I was interested in stuff. So I just read everything I could. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really just gave himself an education. Um reading everything every and he in fact he had a book club for a long time you can go and find out what he was reading well um, you know now that you met not to interrupt you mentioned this um uh i like i said i didn't follow the band but i you know i followed mtv i followed um, music news and stuff like that um to the best of my knowledge these guys all seem to stay out of trouble yeah pretty much it was not Oh, someone had to be rushed to the hospital because they OD'd or yeah. fell off the stage because they, 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 yeah. there seemed to be a, for a famous rock band, a, a weird stability um, in their personal lives. As uh, I said before, they all came from good families and they all took their personal lives very seriously. They've, they've, you know, Lee and Lifeson have been married once, Lifeson to his, his high school sweetheart. Um, uh, and uh, they, they all very much are protective of that. You know, they've, they've, they have never wanted that to be um, something that was negatively influenced by what they did. And they were very serious. You know, when they got together, I, I believe this is right, I could be wrong, but they decided we're splitting everything three ways. That's that. You know, we all trust each other. We're all going to work together. We know that. So no money issues ever came to them. And they took their jobs very seriously. They wanted, when they went out on tour, they wanted to give you a good show. Every show, they tried to do their best. And they took themselves very seriously that way. They really really wanted to produce a good quality product so they were their audience they were professionals as well as artists yeah absolutely they were absolutely professionals so just a couple of things on this song and then maybe we can move on to the next and the next era of rush actually um so one of the other lines in this song that i really like is this is that you you know so, so, okay you can you can choose right all these different ways of having your life decided for you and one of the great lines is you can uh and kindness that can kill this notion that you can you can choose something that is sounds great and wonderful but it can also turn around and kill you which I think is a really, really neat little subtle line in there that if you if you're not if you're not paying too much attention, it will it'll slip right by you. Yeah, I was um, I had noted that that line was an interesting 
kind of an interesting line. So the other thing I'm going to say about the song here, because you didn't mention anything really about the music, but one of the things I really like about well, this. Well, let me just yeah, stop you right there. I had a hard time coming up with anything kind of integrating the music with the lyrics in any meaningful way. I, I felt kind of less than qualified to, less oh. than qualified even to talk about TV and movies and books. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me give you just a couple of things that um, that I've always noted about this song. Um, so one of the things is that the opening uh, lines of this song, right? The, the opening uh, lines that are sung are sung over the guitar and the bass all doing the same line, right? It's all this uniform right everybody's doing the same thing and it reinforces this kind of notion right of fatalism right is that you're just kind of on this track oh and that's it that that's the only way that you you can go right that's a fascinating observation and then when you get into the chorus about no I'm not going to, you can do all those things. I'm going to do this different thing, right? It opens up and it frees up a bit. And then the other thing I will note is that, I don't know if you noticed this, but the, the guitar solo here in this song is not really a guitar solo. It's a jam session with the three of them. It is beginning at about, I don't know what it is, two minutes, 40 seconds, two minutes, 50 seconds or so. The guitar solo starts and the three of them are just, shredding through the entire guitar solo. It is well, astounding. It is absolutely just, astounding. Before we move on, can I make an observation? And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. Yeah, There seems to be a distinct lack of... Uh, just on the three songs I listened to and the other ones. And I never saw them live. Yeah. Although, you know, if I had the opportunity and people were going... Uh, I went to a ton of concerts when I was in high school, people would buy tickets and be like, hey, we're going to see even bands I weren't into, like Santana, who, who yeah. I appreciate as musicians, but you yeah. know, it wasn't like, oh. yeah. it wasn't like I had 10 Santana. So I'd go, but I don't believe Rush ever played, because I know my friends would have gone out and, and bought like 20. I don't think they ever played SPAC when I was in high school, or if they did, they were sold out so quickly. I think that, that they did. I'm fairly certain they did in that era. It, they may have sold out so quickly we didn't yeah. get tickets. Yeah. Um, but there does seem to be just a feeling of there's not a lot of ego here. No. Uh, it, one person trying to, you know, dominate the other. Great comment. And it's something that I've seen a lot of a lot of interviews with Alex Lifeson talking about his guitar playing. <clears throat> and as the guitar player in a trio, you are serving a lot of different purposes, right? And I think he always took that seriously. He always talks about serving the song. Everything he's going to do is going to serve. It's got to serve the song, the including art. in yeah, including his solos. And I think that that's true. With you know, they were all going to be busy, right? Getty Lee as a bassist was always busy. Everybody knew that. Neil Peart as the drummer was always going to be doing crazy stuff. Their songs change times, they change beats, they change moods, they change styles in one song, you know, and their transitions are extraordinary. And they all ver work very well together. I think they got off of that a little bit from time to time with some of their albums, but not significantly. 
But yeah, I think that's a good way to describe them. I think that they're fairly egoless in that regard. Um, and uh, I think it served them very well, particularly for their longevity. What is, uh, chronologically, what's the, what's the next song? Next song is Ghost of a Chance, which is from 1991's Roll the Bones, which is one of my least favorite albums. And so, ironically, this is my least favorite song. Oh, interesting. It's my favorite. Yeah. Is it really? Um, yeah, of these three, I think, I think that it is. So this is a period. So after Permanent Waves, they went through this run of albums where they, they moved away from this heavy hard rock prog stuff into Permanent Waves, which Free Will is on, and then Moving Pictures, which is their most famous album. It has Tom Sawyer. It has yes. um, Limelight. It has Red Barchetta, yeah. YYZ. That's, that's big. Yep, big album. And then uh, Signals, which had subdivisions, which is one of the most important things in my life. Is I that like song. I, it's funny. Well, yeah, go on. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, I was no just thinking like subdivisions. Yeah. I was popular in high school. So when I listened to subdivisions, it was more, uh, I, uh, and I'm not bragging. I just, I had a lot of friends. Yeah. A lot of people had a lot of friends. It wasn't yeah. unique. I yeah. never was bullied. I never was considered an outcast and things like that i was you know uh so so for, when I listen to sub subdivisions it's, it's more out of like empathy or sympathy yeah um than relating to it the same way limelight i i can i i can't i can and cannot relate to because i wouldn't mind being filthy rich but the idea of fame uh, and notoriety and being is this like uh yeah, so it's it's funny, but I, I think subdivisions is a fantastic, uh, uh, a fantastic outsider anthem. Yeah, well, it's why it's why I think you have that kind of NASCAR like fan base is that for a fair number of people who were outsiders who didn't have tons of friends, and I put myself into that to that category to hear some you know popular music, right? that's really good and appeals to your sense of nerdiness, which I was right. Of, yeah. It speaks to you. It, it really does. It was a reflection back to you of some of the things that you were going through of the, and know, yeah. And, and I know we didn't pick the song, but I would yeah. like to just add because you're doing thankfully most of the talking because you're far more educated about this stuff than I am. Um, it was a brutally, I mean, you know, maybe we should maybe we should do it one day. But it's a brutally honest song about high school society. It is, and it's also a brutally honest song about um, about a lot of things. It's it's a great, it is a great song. But anyway, so so signals. And then my my what I think is one of perhaps the best Rush album is an album called Grace Under Pressure. It kind of falls a little bit under the radar, but I think it's perfect from beginning to end. And then they got into a much more synthy era with um, Power Windows, which is a lot of synthesizers going all over the place. And then Hold Your Fire. But by the way, what are you? Are you opening and closing cabinets? Yeah, no, a door. The dog got downstairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, no problem. Uh, which kind of ended, uh, and they produced this really interesting album called Hold Your Fire, which also has one of my one of the most influential songs for me. Time stand still, um, but then they kind of reverted back to okay. We're gonna we're gonna kind of start losing the synthesizers a bit. We're gonna go back to a little bit more 
kind of rock and roll type approach. And they came out with Presto and then Roll Your Bones albums that I don't think particularly work very well. But Roll Your Bones has this song, Ghost of a Chance, which is one of my one of my favorite Rush songs for a variety of reasons. Um, um, one of which <clears throat> is that it <clears throat> it is one of the few love songs, you could argue. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, it continues with these themes of of fatalism and free will and chance, um, uh, just wrapped up in a in a slightly different package. And musically, the way that this song is crafted, I think, is fantastic. I think it's just fantastic. The contrasts that uh, exist between the chorus and the verse. Uh, how it's done, and it also has one of my favorite Alex Lyson guitar solos. And that is which song? Ghost of a Chance. Ghost of a Chance? Yeah. I like the... Um, I thought that was a little bit more of a simplistic song, mm-hmm. or the lyrics, I should say, than the others, but I did like... There's this idea here, and it's about halfway through, like a million little crossroads through the back streets of youth. Each time we turn a new corner, a tiny moment of truth. And I was thinking that that is kind of like, subjectively speaking, what many of us experience. There's these little moments uh, that accumulate um, over the years where you do kind of, at least for yourself, add a tiny moment of truth. Um, uh, that like I said, it kind of accumulate over the years. That That's when you look back and say, I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. And you may not even recognize that, that tiny moment of truth, but that is kind of how life is. You, you never have, a, I like to, I, I kind of think you never have all the answers you make it some objective truth and then some of your own subjective truth, but it's all very few of us have big moments of truth. Yeah. You know, occasionally a big moment here or there, but you know, it's all these little things that add up and um, it also makes me think of why you know like a million little crossroads why did i turn right Mm -hmm. it may have been just as random as i wasn't paying attention (laughs) you know yep but if i had turned left here my life would have been completely different um it's uh but what the thing i did find interesting about the song um, it seems to it's it's I don't know if this is conscious or unconscious, meant to be ironic or or purposeful. It I don't believe in the stars or the planets or angels watching from above, but I believe there's a ghost of a chance we can find someone to love and make it last. Um, there's a very, very again anti predestination, pro free will sentiment here yeah um somehow we find each other through all that masquerade somehow we found each other somehow we have stayed in a state of grace but then he he, this is another peart song Mm -hmm. lyrics yep 
he throws in this line in a state of grace, and that is a distinctly religious term, which typically means satisfaction by God or one under divine influence. And I wonder if uh, I don't believe in destiny or the guiding hand of fate. I don't believe in forever or love as a mystical state. But then he resorts to a very religious term, grace. Yeah. And, and state of grace. Um, I don't know what to make of that. I found it very interesting, though. It is. Well, when you think, I mean, one of the interesting things about the lyrics of the song is that it's this, right? You can kind of, oh, well, you know, there's there's a, there's a chance we can find somebody and, and fall in love, find somebody that we can love, and then also have that last. But it's only a ghost of a chance, which is a phrase used to describe something that is moonshot not really likely going <laughs> well <laughs> right yeah well and, it's very what's well, it's interesting to me sorry to, it, it's interrupt no, go ahead. um no it's just interesting to me that i like I, I said before in a podcast i tend to be a romantic in the classical sense not in yeah. the let's hold hands have flowers and have a you know picnic and have ants and all that crap because it never turns out well but I do tend to be kind of a romantic in the classical sense. However, this idea, you, you might find a soulmate, but that doesn't mean it's one person in 300 billion, right? There might be, if you believe in that type of idea of a soulmate, like I love my wife, she's awesome. Um, We're very different. It has seemed to work because we've been married. Uh, we've been, well, I should say we've been together since 1992. <laughs> 91, actually. Um, married since, right. married when since this, 90s. When this song came out. There you go. Yeah. Married since 97. Very different. We kind of, I like to think we complement each other and all that. But that's not to say there's not 15,000 women out there. That in a different way, I could have hit it off with, or twenty five thousand men. She could, you know. Yeah. Um. So, I'm not so sure. There's a ghost of a chance that this could work. Seems a little depressing to me. When, so on the one hand, I really don't believe. Oh, there's that one person. No, there's not one person out there for you. There's probably a ton out there for you, just in different ways. Yeah, this is but, kind of a depressing song. But that's yeah, it is. I agree. But that's that's, and I'm going to get to the state of grace in a second. But it's one of the things that I love about these lyrics as well. When you when you go through because they're the two different sets of like whatever it is verses, right, are remarkably mm-hmm. similar. Like a million, like a million little doorways versus like a million little crossroads. Right, all the choices we made through the back streets of youth, all the stage we pass through, each time we turn a new corner, all the rose roles we play, so many different directions, so many different connections, our separate every, paths, our separate Every bridge paths. we burn. Yep. <laughs> yeah. With every door that we open, every bridge that we burn, every game that we play, right? And when you, when you look at those things, the crossroads, connections, doorways, directions, right? All of these different things going on, Right. What he's what he's talking about is going back to free will, where all these individual imperfect things, we go out 
we have things happen to us. We go different pathways. We make connections with people and with things. We have crossroads we go through. You know, we, we choose to do a variety of things, right? And, and somehow, as he said, through all of this mess, hey, I have this, I've made this connection with this person, right? And somehow we figured out how to stay together. And I think that that notion of a state in the state of grace is a little bit potentially, because I think there's a lot you can do with Neil Peart lyrics in terms of trying to figure out what their, what their actual meaning is. I think there is a degree to which he is saying that because of the chances of this actually happening are so bizarre and the chances of us being able to sustain it, because remember, we're going through different doorways, we're making different connections, we're going in different directions, even after we meet that person, right? We're all doing that individually, that maintaining it over a period of time, right, is somehow something that perhaps you could describe, right, as being in a state of grace, uh, because it is so unlikely, it is so, um, uh, such a remarkable chance of the of the thing that um could happen but he's associating it with belief right core fundamental thing of any sort of religion right is a notion of of belief and so he's linking together that hope right of uh being able to do something you know to, to have something like this happen with a something as fundamental and as irrational as belief. Um, that's kind of how I take it is, is, is it, it's almost a um, bit of sarcasm kind of oh, built into oh, this, okay. into the song. Interesting. Well, I do like the focus on make it last because we've all fallen in love or sure. lusts. Yeah. Um, and it seems like the, the real accomplishment is is to make it last. A- anyone can fall in love. Sure, big deal. Yeah, big deal. Scientists say it's all it's all hormones and adrenaline rushes and you know all sorts of things. But to really make that commitment and to make it last, uh, I, I do like the emphasis on that part of a relationship as opposed to just the oh you know I saw her uh, across the bar and I had the you know, a 38 special song. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's great too. The, I mean, to me, the music, it's that, I don't know if that the guitar line in, in the beginning, that kind of rolling, (laughs) right. It's this kind of, it's tumultuous, right. All through those, all all through the verses, then you get that huge contrast, right. You get in a state of grace and then it just kind of opens up. And it's this beautiful transition into this much more flowing kind of, Hey, look, I don't believe in any of this stuff, but I do believe it is just maybe possible we can make it happen. Uh, it's right. this really beautiful contrast. And then it has, again, one of my favorite Alex Lifeson guitar solos in it. Just something I love. And now, uh, is it Faithless? Faithless, yeah. Faithless, 2007. That's 2007. Yes. So after, so what happened is, so they made Presto roll the bones, uh, started going back really hard rock with counterparts, and then Test for Echo, I think, of highly un, un, um, 
underappreciated album in 97, very tragically, Neil Peart's daughter was killed in a single car accident on her oh, way to God. college. And then 10 months Ugh. later, his wife died of cancer. So every man's worst nightmare in yes. 60 days? Yeah, pretty much, right? His, his only child and his, and his wife both died and- within a year. And she was on her way to college, which kind of symbolizes the future. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. So he he couldn't continue and <clears throat> disconnected. Uh, yeah. Right. And um, went off and, and rode, <laughs> he rode his motorcycle from Toronto to the west coast of Canada down to Mexico and then back across the United States to Toronto. It's something like 55,000 miles Damn. to clear his head. Um, wrote a book about it too, actually, which is, which is interesting. So he, he really disappeared and, and, and finally reemerged and kind of came back. And they then made their last four studio albums, last three of original music, which were uh, Vapor Trails, uh, Snakes and Arrows and Clockwork Angels. And they came back and, and really kind of, I think, kind of re-engaged you know, just, with their prog rock roots. You just really depressed me right now. The idea that the Peart family was, that immediate family is wiped out. Yeah, completely wiped out. That's, thanks. Yeah. All right. Good talking <laughs> with you. <laughs> Let's wrap it up. I'm going to go stick my head in the oven. <laughs> yes, and we get uh, some of his is... some of his most interesting <laughs> introspective um lyrics beginning with uh, vapor trails. Um some of them very difficult. Um and but fa- fa- Faithless is on Snakes and Arrows. Okay. Um which is the second of the three um I had no idea this was so I I got to be honest with you. I had no Faithless was is oh seven. Yes. I had no idea it was that late. Yeah. No if you had told me I would have said eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. Wow. Oh interesting. That's how I'm not that's how much I'm not into Rush. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Which I'll talk talk about in a in a, in a few minutes. Yeah. Well so, um, this is my favorite song. Oh, interesting. Yeah. This is one of my this is one of my one of my this this is number two of the three. Um for me, because I, I think, like, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say Ghost of a Chance. I just, I just love the song. I think it's beautiful. I think it's a very unusual rush song. I love the lyrics, love the guitar solo. I love uh, Faithless because of kind of all of it all together. It, I just find it really compelling in lots of ways. And I really, really like Free Will. I mean, it is, I think it's one of their great songs and it is one of my favorites, but um, these two are just slightly above it. Yeah, I found this an interesting juxtaposition about um, there's a lot, you know, it's funny, and I'm not, you you know me, I'm not an organized religion guy. Yep. But there is a lot of, there is some imagery in here that is uh, well done, number one. Um, And I'm thinking of fools and thieves are well disguised in the temple and marketplace. Mm. Um, in the temple and marketplace, uh, you know that just um, as a literature guy, but not a religious guy. That just 
screams to me Jesus in the temple tossing out the money lenders mm-hmm. um, and the hypocrisy we see with um, you know again I'll be subjective here televangelists um, empty vessels you know, right Rain. corporate yeah, yeah uh, corporate bullshit uh, you know people like uh, God I can't believe I'm going to mention his name Martin Scarelli you know yeah. marketplace guys who are just manipulating the marketplace for their own gain uh people who disguise themselves in religious garb uh that are all grifters i mean i love that kind of imagery about fools and thieves because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways you know personally i don't want to like piss off anyone but anyone who was giving money to jimmy swaggart or james baker or any of these jerry falwells um I think are fools, and I think they're sending money to thieves. Um, and if you're investing in 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 some of this uh, get rich quick stuff, you're in the temple and marketplace of <laughs> being run by fools and thieves. So I really like those that the kind of imagery he he um, he taps into there. Yep, yep. I don't know if he's quietly resisting, though, because he's writing a song that was um, <laughs> relatively popular. I think he's vocally resisting. Um, <laughs> well, he's but but here's the thing, though. He he's this. I mean, yes. I mean, you could you could make that. Certainly he's using. I'm his, being I'm being an asshole. <laughs> no, but I think it's I think it's fair. And, and in terms of a commentary was going on. But but it, it is a really nice. The reason I picked this song as well i picked these three songs because of the themes in the lyrics and and how those themes evolved with them through time okay so free will was as i always kind of describe it is this kind of brash youthful hey i'm gonna make all my decisions ghost of the of a chance is this really nice kind of more mature kind of reflective of okay what does this mean to my personal life right how is this playing out what's going on what's around me you know my my companion and it's this really kind of um uh i don't know quite the right word for it but it is it it is not a you know it's not a joyous song it's not a particularly love song it's this kind of recognition that boy, this is hard <laughs> and there's a lot of yeah. chance here yeah. and I'm not sure it, you know, it all works. And then finally this last is I'm kind of a person in the world, you know, and I've got my own moral compass, right. To steer by that first, first line and a um, it's his, it's his guiding star. Right. And it beats some vague spirit in the sky. He's still that free will kind of person. I'm doing it for me, but now he's in the world, right? And it's this, he's been there for a long time now and he's been not been able to impose his will on the world and not everybody is seeing it his way. So he's there now, you know, a much more mature version of, oh, I want to have my free will, but I'm surrounded by all of this other stuff and it's not going away. Right. 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 And so I just have to hold the course and I have to simply resist and not fight against it because it's not going to do any good. I'm going to be me. You go be you. Right. I'm going to resist in my own way by simply allowing this stuff to wash over me. And I love the nature imagery. 
the stone right. in the river, the willows in the wind, the, the, the forest, forest in the snow and in the yeah. winter, right? I, I, the flowers in the desert, it, it, these, these wonderful, this wonderful imagery of that kind of those, those things retaining and, and, and continuing to exist despite the adversity that they face. Well, it's a very moralistic kind of approach. These are, these are, I mean, uh, I know you were a philosophy major, but you know, these are very moral. It's like, leave my morals to me. It's not an ethical decision. It's more like, leave my morals to me. It's a personal thing. Um, and, uh, you know, leave me alone about that. It's not like he's in the world. It's not, not an ethical decision he's making here. It's a much more personal, moral decision. Yeah. It shouldn't affect anyone yeah. else besides he's being true to his. I mean, uh, you and I have had conversations that, you know, ethics are public. Yes. Morals are personal. Yes. Um, and the only way you can uh, be a moral um, is if you kind of are, are acting against your own personal beliefs. You may be unethical when you, you act with your personal beliefs or yeah. against your personal beliefs. <laughs> you know, right. I'm not suggesting otherwise, but certainly morals are more personal, a, a more personal um, decision. But I like the idea of, um, I, I still am struck by the fools and thieves are dangerous in the temple and marketplace. And I wish he had added, um, uh, in government buildings, mm. um, and I wonder if you know if they, if he had written these lyrics in in twenty uh, twenty or twenty sixteen, he he may have added something that could be read into um, as um, our disturbing situation in the U.S. Yeah, well, he was uh, as I said, he was a libertarian guy, and and but as he got older, kind of one of his someone who knew him noted that he understood that it's not an even playing field out there. And he became much more of a um, liberal libertarian. <laughs> I don't know quite how to put it, but, or, you know, choosing like the, in his mind, I'm going to choose the best of the worst. Uh, no, I think it, it was, I think he's more imperfect. No, he, he, I think, I don't think I, I'm completely speculating here. I cannot imagine that, um, it was simply a matter of the best of the worst. I think what he, what his perspective, perspective was probably more focused on is that we, we don't want to suppress individuality. We don't want to take away anything from people to the extent that we can. Um, But we also can't simply um, let everybody just figure out how to make it in the scrum because people are not the same and people don't come from similar backgrounds. And so they don't have the same opportunities. They don't have the same uh, possibilities. And that that is not something that should be ignored for the sake of the individual. Um, So I'm trying to find the... Um, So am I right? Remind me again. Is Free Will the earliest song? Yes. Because uh, there's a line in here that seems like, um, I I just remember like uh, I read the Fountainhead and got like a third of the way into some other Ayn Rand thing, and I was just like, I'm this is, 
But I remember a girl coming up to me, a friend of mine in high school, saying, oh, my boyfriend, who was a friend of mine as well, he's just acting like a dick. And I'm like, Did he eat? is he reading that Ayn Rand? And she's like, yeah. I said, give it two weeks. <laughs> just give it two weeks. Because there's a line in... Um, uh, um, free will. Um, that seems immature to me. Yeah. Um, just, just as a. Um, uh, there were those who think they were dealt a losing hand. The cards were stacked against them. They weren't born in Lotus Land. Right. Yeah. There were. There are people who were dealt a losing hand. Yes. Kids born of maybe uh, drug, you know, uh, addicted to drugs because of their mom. Um, kids born, and a couple years later they come down. I mean, there are people who are born with a losing hand, and this seems to mean this seems the, these lyrics seem to be kind of like almost stop complaining. Yeah, get on with your life. Yep, but people are born. With a losing hand, it seems very an immature stanza in the in the um, in the song. It 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 is, and I think it's again, it's a reflection of the um, the process and the growth, right? That he yes he he went through as a as an individual as a human being. It's not, yeah, it's it not was, a criticism as as a lyricist. It's it is that right? Yeah, it's we all grow and change and our experiences um kind of change our outlook on it yeah and there are other yeah. songs you know later in in a career where you kind of see that you know more dramatically that that change in his in his perspective on things but yeah this, right, is, a, um, this is great the musically here since you don't want to talk about anything musically again there's this really great contrast this is a song where it's not that kind of contrast where you had in ghosts of a chance verse to chorus in terms of this kind of drastic change, this kind of builds um, um, to it, right? You have, it. it's each part of the verse goes through some transformation. The two, first two lines, I've got my own moral compass to steer by a guiding star beats spirit in the sky is one thing. Then it kind of picks up with all the horrible stuff. And then it kind of goes back and then into the verse, which is much more open. And again, a, a guitar solo that I think matches the song perfectly. Not well, flashy, not over the top. It it's really, really done very well. Suits suits the work. Yep, serves the song. Yeah, this band cracks me up big time because I I wonder um, what other what other bands out there have had the commercial success uh, that Rush has had with the kind of philosophical statements they're making. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's a short list. I don't know for sure. I, I think it's a short list. I don't know. I honestly really don't know. Um, I don't know any. Um, we're at like 74 minutes now. Yeah. So I would like to move on unless you have anything you want to add. So I'll I enjoyed, I enjoyed uh, revisiting the, two songs i was i definitely knew and then listening to um i think and i can only go you know my friends who like i said were musicians i can only go back in the day that i never heard anyone kind of question the 
musical or artistic ability of these three guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems to be like them or not respect on a professional level. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll just sum up a, a couple of things uh, about them. A couple of things to do. There's a, there was a documentary made about them. I think around 2007, 2008 called beyond the lighted stage, which um, it's a little bit of a hagiography, hey but it, it really demonstrates kind of the kind of people they are, I think, pretty nicely. And I think you see them as these normal kind of people. And, and at the end of it, there's a there's as the credits are rolling, they film them all going out to dinner together one night. Um, uh, and it's absolutely hysterical just how goofy they are and, and right. silly. And you can see the friendship, right? You can see the camaraderie. It's, it's, it's really a neat thing to see. Um, and then the other, the only other thing uh, I think I would say is um, just again, personally, when you have a song like subdivisions, when you have a song like time stands still, when you have songs like after image, um, uh, kid gloves, also on grace under pressure, um, between the wheels on grace under pressure, make the, when you dig into the meaning of these songs and you, and you listen listen to them, particularly when you're young and you're working things out for yourselves, it can have a profound impact. And it certainly did for me. You know, I, I credit these guys with carrying me through difficult times. Well, I mean, that's the, that's probably why people still listen to them. Yeah. And why their fan base so, is so, so, yeah. so, so fanatical. So is this a band? Um, I never felt this way about them, and I'll explain in a minute. But I never got the sense that this was the type of band like you were either obsessive about or couldn't stand. But is there something out there? Um, is there a division like that with with Rush? You know, I, I so there are people who are they're not offensive. It's not like no, but know. but I mean they're kind of like Trekkies, right? I mean there 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 are people. I guess that's what I'm asking. Yes, there are people who are kind of like Trekkies out there and who are Rush fans, but there are also people like me. I mean, I I I really like these guys a lot, and they're very again personally very very important to me because of how they've influenced me and, and what I credit, uh, you know, what they, how they impacted my, my life. I really enjoy listening to them. I listen to every album and I listen mm. to them a lot. Um, but I wouldn't consider myself fanatical, but there are people who are kind of, you know, Trekkie like, you know, there are people who have gone to, you know, hundreds of rush concerts. Um, it's almost like, you know, that kind of Grateful Dead fanaticism. And and the most aromatic concert I ever went to. Yeah, I bet. And and you can see it. I mean, when when they when they when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, 
when they were announcing who the initial inductees were, they kind of went through the list and it was like Hart and Randy Newman and, you know, uh, name somebody and there'd be applause for a few seconds. And they got to Rush and they said, and from Toronto, <laughs> it was just an explosion. And it was, a, it, was, yeah. it was literally 60 seconds of people screaming. Well, this is the kind of band that would, I suppose, if they get to you when you're younger, they're, I mean, well, I got a list of bands I listen to. Yeah. Um, and it's just not that I'd like, I, as much as I love listening to the music, I can't say they had a profound impact on my life. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they weren't singing songs that may have impacted my life. Yeah. Um, so that's, um, I just remember, I always like take note of the fact that the musician people in my life, um, and I remember there's probably, I'm sure there was more, but it was always, it was Rush. And uh, not even all of them were like huge, overzealous Rush fans. Yeah. It's just that they, they kind of recognized the the musical proficiency and the uniqueness. And I remember the other one, and they weren't particularly necessarily fans of most of his work. Was Prince? Oh, I recognized yeah. Yeah. the kind of editing and uh, production value. Yeah, of his works, they weren't. They didn't have Prince posters on their walls, and they weren't playing Prince songs. But they were able to recognize kind of. Uh, kind of the unique artistic uh, the values in, in, and it was it was like Rush and Prince and I'm sure it was one or two others but um, yeah I mean so this is just a band for me it's weird there's these bands that I it's not that I don't like them and whenever they came on the radio um, I would never turn it off it's just I didn't go out and buy their albums and cassettes and as a 14, 15, 16-year-old guy, it, it just very – I may have been resource allocating. I only have so much money, <laughs> you know? So I'm just – and it was like Rush, Genesis, R.E.M., Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, and The Doors. And I like a lot of their stuff, but for whatever reason, I, I was spending my money on – other things do you have those bands which you, you look back and say like i always like them but for whatever reason i didn't kind of do a deep dive it's interesting i not that many um and the reason is is that i think i like uh a lot of stuff i like everything I have a, I'm, I'm a, I do not have a discriminating palate when it comes to music. <laughs> kind of like Italian food. Just keep shoveling yeah. it in. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> some sauce and mozzarella and put it on anything. Exactly. Oh, it's cardboard. It's, it's the best cardboard I've ever had. Exactly. Um, but there were, there were a few kind of like that. I mean, R, REM was like that. It was, I always appreciated REM and I never really did a, did a deep dive with them. Um, U2 was kind of like that. Although recently I have tried to do a deep dive with them and just not happening. I just not interested. Um, Doesn't really, and I will continue to try to, I'm going to continue to try to go down that path. Um, 
what was that? There, there was a. There's another one that comes to mind. Shoot, uh, yeah, uh, Genesis actually. Yeah, me too. This is nothing against them. Yeah, uh, it's just there's only so many hours in the day and so many dollars in a in a sixteen year old's pocket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To me, it was to to me when it came to you know kind of quote popular music, it was um it was it was a little bit more uh, I'll say seventies oriented and, and also a little bit more um a, a little bit broader as well so i was you know hopefully like most people big into led zeppelin i think um a remarkable phenomenon the beatles um also um rush uh yes um was a big one but then i also listened to a lot of jazz um and classical music and the kenny kenny g <laughs> Sadly, no. I never went down the celebrate. Jam you celebrate all, all of his, his entire yes. canon. His entire canon. Yes. Um, no, is that I got. I got into. Um, I really got into uh, bebop. Uh, so you know, John Coltrane, uh, Sonny Rollins, Miles Davis, Charlie Parker. Parker, all all that, uh, and I kind of went down that sure. that rabbit hole a bit, as well as into some of. Um, some of the funk stuff like uh weather report and mahavishnu and things like that back from the from the 70s um and you know when you're listening to kind of that when you're into that more of that you know prog as well as you know real funk slash jazz type stuff like weather report and it 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 sometimes gets a little bit difficult to kind of sit back and and listen to you know say like tom petty who i love i love tom petty and, it's great rock and roll. Yeah, and and but you know when you sit down and you listen to a weather report song, and then you sit down and listen to Tom Petty, it's kind of like, well, okay, when when is this going to change? <laughs> what right. are interesting things going to happen in the song? And and you kind of get into that mode. And so for a long time, I I, I kind of didn't listen to a lot of pop music because I, um, uh, it just didn't it didn't engage me in the way that kind of the prog stuff and the funk and the jazz did so um there wasn't a ton i mean i, I liked everything i'd listened to it but it, it it very little of it really compelled me like van halen was really big when around that time and i just never went down that down that rabbit hole i would never oh, I, huge really? fan yeah i think the first two albums are fantastic yeah i yeah. I think that they, I think that they are, but it just never truly. Sure. Up, up so it was a subjective. Me. It was a subjective thing. Yeah, I think so. My my kind of go tos. I'm trying to think. Like eighty two to eighty six. I loved Asia. Yeah, I saw them in concert twice, and they were a little bit different than the. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like the pop combo. So they did the pop progressive rock to a lesser extent than Rush oh, yeah. on the on the recordings. They all came from that background, and I yeah. wish... <clears throat> I, I appreciate the songs weren't 23 minutes. Yep. I appreciate the songs could be played on the radio. Um, and I love them in concert because they did show that more... They, it did show... They did display their pedigree more in concert. Than on the, I wish they had. So, I wish they had maybe twenty percent 
Uh, yes, and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and King Crimson in their Asia stuff, as opposed to maybe the 5% we got. Mm. Um, and I also think it was a band where their best songs were not featured on the radio because mm. they could do some stuff that was a little bit heavier. Um, he did the moment was a nice pop song. It was yep. catchy and everything like that. But then there was like time, time again, which had a little bit more of a oomph to it. I just wish they brought their pedigree more to the fore on the albums than they actually did. Cause it was very pop, very um, top 40. A lot of it. There's a lot, uh, there were I, a lot of, groups. but I like them. Yeah, no, there yeah, were a lot but of, I, like, but I like them. Journey sticks. Yeah. Asia. Sure. Great. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, my comments, by the way, are not criticisms. I mean, I, I think these guys are all, you know, really good. Some better than others. And um, I think that you're right. I mean, I think that a lot of those Boston is another one. Kansas, I think is to a certain degree, another one that, that really knew what they were doing. You know, I mean, they, they really, uh, I, they came out of an era of music where, you know, that experimentation was, you know, definitely there. People were interested in it. Um, but your, you know, standard listening audience didn't want to listen to a 23 minute song. Right. And, and didn't necessarily want to have to listen as tently as you need to listen to on some, for example, you know, earlier rush songs, which go through these, you know, time changes and, you know, mood changes and transitions all over the, you know, you can't dance to it. Right. Um, right. So, you know, you can understand why they kind of shied away. And well, I mean, you know, hey. I mean, let's face it, John, John Wetton was in UK. He was in King Crimson and eventually probably wanted to make a living. Yeah. You know, and he was a good, yeah. he was a good bass player. He was not a fantastic, I mean, he wasn't, yeah. but in concert, he would do uh, a two, three, four minute thing where you sat back and said, holy shit, this guy does more than sing. He knows how to play the bass. Yeah. Steve Howe would come out and do yeah. um, two Howe's concerts. Great. I saw yeah. like uh, an acoustic, yep. you know, and, and Carl Palmer would go off on the drums for 15 minutes and yeah. kind of remind, yeah, yeah, just reminding you guys who we are. Right. Before we go back to heat of the moment. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. That yeah, type yeah, of yeah. stuff. But yeah. I, I like that. My other um, kind of go to, I always like Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah. Hard, I, love, I mean, yeah, I love Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Um, I love Jefferson Airplane and Starship up through Familiar Stranger. I, I listened to a lot of that. I, the, I like their popular songs. It's weird. I, I like their popular songs and I don't like anything else. With, well, what's, with what's the various, popular? I don't know. Like White Rabbit? Sorry? White Rabbit? Well, or that's, that's like, back at the... Are that's you Jefferson talking about... Like yeah, we, we built this city. Are I you love talking We Built about? This City, yeah. Oh, my God. Love okay. it. Absolutely That's love what it. I kind of... That kind of... So I, no, I like Familiar Stranger with... Um, was it Familiar Stranger and um, the other great uh, song in there? I can't... I'm blanking right now. Mm. Um... Uh, my British go-to was the Who, not the Stones. Yeah, same here. Uh, uh, who uh, and um, um, uh, Zeppelin Clash and the well Zeppelin and the Clash and the, but into the eighties. Um, the Clash was yeah. interesting. Yeah, I like the Clash. I had a, I wasn't punk, a, I had huge... a punk. I had a punk phase there, and, and the Clash was one of those ah. pseudo punk groups that I. I wasn't a huge, like, live or die, ride or die Zeppelin guy, but I did have a bunch of their, I liked them. 
very much. Mm. I and then I like the Night Ranger, the first album. Oh wow! Um, okay. Yeah, King Crimson. Steve Miller had one of the best of albums ever made. The best yeah, of Steve yeah. Miller. Yeah, that is a great album. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of the kinds of things I was listening to. Yeah, but REM, Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, The Doors. I like a lot of their stuff, but it just never stopped. Bought the albums, bought the cassettes. I mean, now with with iTunes, I have a ton of their songs on my playlist. Right. Now, but back in the day, no, it was more... Oh, you know who we're missing we haven't talked about and who I listened to a ton of and went down rabbit holes and definitely was a go-to was Pink Floyd. Not a huge fan, but not a detractor either. Mm. Um, did not my... Most of it, not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, I liked Early Journey. Yep. Uh, I liked Dire Straits. I loved Heart. And I listened to a decent amount, but not an unhealthy amount of Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap this up, yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, with your background, yeah, um, individually, yeah, I'm curious. Oh, we talked about Peart. We we yeah. both agree, and uh, I've heard, and you agree that when you're ranking rock drummers, he's an A-lister. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely an A-lister, yeah. Where do the guitarist and the bass player, Lee and... um, uh, Lifeson. Lifeson. Yeah. Where do they rank um, individually as musicians? uh, Whose actual last last name I I won't try to pronounce for you. He's Polish. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to pronounce his actual last name for you. But we're, Are we're they built up as so Lee is on on bases is generally considered one of those you know remarkable uh, bass players. Probably you know with bass players it's always a little bit harder to tell. He's but he's probably not right. right. Less is better than less is better than more. Sometimes yeah, you gotta appreciate the restraint. Yeah, and I'm and I'm just not sure whether there's also whether there's as much of a focus on that. It's kind of like, well, who are the great bass players? And so, uh, that's uh, tough. I don't it? know. Yeah, so it's unless you see them in concert, where they get the opportunity to solo, or where the music is such that it it is something that right is is allowed for right. So right. Uh, so it it, it really it's really kind of a tough one. I mean, I think he is very, 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 very highly respected, but there's Chris Squire, right? There's Flea, who's fantastic. There are, sure. there's Jaco Pastorius, if you want to go into jazz, who is, you know, a phenom. There's a whole bunch of people you could, you could point to, but I think, and, and there's a whole bunch of metal guys who are extraordinary as well, who I don't, I don't know um, as well. Um, <laughs> Just tell you a, st- a quick a quick story about guitar. So one of my friends was a phenomenal guitar player, went to um, Ithaca for mm. classical guitar. Mm. And I remember like hanging out with them and they had their little garage band and he picks up the bass player's bass and without even thinking, he like plays it for like two and a half minutes and he's light years better than the bass player could ever hope to be. Yeah. And then he puts it down <laughs> and kind of shrugs. <laughs> I said, I'm like, that was, that was incredible. He said, yeah, yeah, I kind of dabble. Yeah. Yeah. 
so 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 he's very you know he's considered great lifeson is in my opinion one of the most underrated guitar players ever and the reason i say that is because he he didn't he wasn't flashy right so many you know guitar players that people hold up as this oh you know it's like jimmy page and and jimmy hendrix and you know eric clapton was oh yeah these are guitar guys but honestly when you if you go through and listen to every era of rush and you listen to the way that he changed his guitar playing to match what the band was doing and achieve what it was that the songs needed to achieve uh and the experimentation he went through and what he what he did do i i think he is he is to me the model of what you want out of a musician he is somebody who serves the group serves the song does it extraordinarily well um uh and could shred with the best of them i mean i i i you know you you want him to play like Jimmy Page, okay, go back to some of their early albums. You want them to kind of more hang out in the background and and provide more atmospherics. Okay, go listen to Hold Your Fire. You know, you want him to be yeah. this layered kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of filling in everything. And so, okay, listen to the last three albums. And I mean, he could do he he did absolutely everything. And some of his guitar solos are, I'm absolutely stunning. Uh, limelight a lot of people point to as as one of those guitar solos that just so perfectly matches the song it's just phenomenal uh and he's incredibly creative and and um weird in his guitar play so i i I think he's i think he should be rated a lot higher than than most people um most people do but uh i'm not a guitarist can we just go back though before we get hate email Mm. Um, you were not saying that Hendrix and Page were not great guitarists. Um, no, I am not. <laughs> okay, I want to make that crystal safe at all. No, I want to no, make no, that no, no. crystal clear <laughs> right now that you were not elevating. No, I'm not Rush's guitar player at the expense of guys like Jimmy Page and Jimi Hendrix. No, I'm I'm I was never uh, a Hendrix fan. I've always been a Jimmy Page fan, but I mean, sure. you know, I mean it's kind of like if you were if you were going to start a band, do you want a guitarist like Lifeson or do you want a guy like Page? To me, it's easy. Like I think Lifeson, I want a guy everything. I I think I want a guy like Page until I'm a little more uh been around the block once or twice and then probably I want life song. Maybe. Yeah. If I'm 18, I want page, right? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, anything else you want to add? No. I, thought, uh, I didn't think we'd have enough to talk about, but that was um, pretty good. It was over. I was a little, intimidated, little intimidated by talking about a band I don't really know. And I, as I told you, I specifically stayed away from researching them because I wanted to kind of come to it. Yeah. Kind of just out of the blue. Well, so, maybe we can uh, do this again and talk about go goes. Yeah, some other. Yeah, I mean, I'm open to talk about anybody musically. So uh, if you're if there's uh, something there, yeah, we should we should do it. But this was a lot of fun. Thank you for indulging me again. These guys are really important to me. And was uh, yeah, and well, I. Well, I'm sorry I put you off for so long, but I was trying to wrap my head around how this would go. <laughs> but I liked how it went. Yeah, not bad. I just have to figure out a way if I can seamlessly 
edit in some clips of their songs so it doesn't sound clunky. Not sure I have the uh, the know how to do that, but I'll try to maybe maybe we can um, if we can figure out how to do that, that would be cool. edit in. Yeah. Well, I know how to do it, but it just might not. Like I don't. We do this on our phones, and we don't have the fade in and fade out type of. Yeah. You know, I'm not working. Not working at a. I'm not working in a studio. We're we're low tech. Yeah, we're sitting on the commuter train. <laughs> yeah, my <laughs> my studio includes a smart TV, a fan, <laughs> and uh, a dehumidifier, and, and a, you know, an occasional uh, dog, an occasional dog, and a rower. <laughs> All right, excellent. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Talk to you soon. Right, bye.